This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Kia ora and welcome to part three of The Oldest Profession, RNZ's short series on the sex industry. I'm Philippa Tolley. In this episode, I've been out on the streets to find out a bit about what it's like to ply your trade from the pavement. I think it's weird even now, the actual act of having sex with a stranger for money as, as a service or whatever. It is quite bizarre. It's weird and you just get into your this is work mode and boom, but it's still odd. Talk about prostitution and the image that often pops into the mind first is of scantily clad women soliciting from the street. But in reality, this is the smallest part of the industry. That said, Every city, and even some smaller towns, have roads that are known as the place to go. And the spot in Wellington is Marion Street in the centre of the city and nearby Vivian Street, still home to a sex club. And this is where street-based worker Jenna finds her clients before heading elsewhere for sex. I've been working as a sex worker for about four years. Um, and street work only done on and off about the last year. But I really like being my own boss and it's something I do casually as I need money now because I'm not that committed to working all the time. It's not for me and my personal situation, but that's the thing with sex work is that you always have the skills. You know how to hustle, uh, you know what sort of is required, what sort of location, how to get money how to keep safe, all of that stuff. Those are the skills that I'm talking about, not actual sex skills, which most people have. <laughs> but, yeah, those are the things. And when you know how to do that, that's why it's hard to stop, because you know, I'm broke. I was still a job, you know. Why not? The best working times for Jenna are often those in the wee small hours of the weekend, when clients cruise by and a deal is worked out before heading inside somewhere. But it's a chilly weekday afternoon when Jenna chats to me about why she chose sex work. It started when I was 41, out of necessity. Yeah, I had an ex-husband who didn't want to pay his child support entitlement. I had a normal job for a media company. I've got a Bachelor of Arts. And, yeah, had a reasonably OK life as a single mother. But I ended up losing my job. The stress of taking my ex-husband to court, three-year battle... It was very, very stressful. I couldn't work. The stress was too much. He wouldn't, say, for example, wouldn't have the kids in school holidays. Ended up with the benefit, and I was like, well, I can't survive on the benefit either. I had two sons, one autistic, and so required three-bedroom house. I couldn't survive. 
And so I felt I could at least try that. And I thought I could keep it discreet and not tell anyone. But it doesn't work like that. People do find out, including your family. And, yeah, Sif's actually told my parents and my ex-husband. And absolutely ruined my life. Now my parents still judge me a lot. But you learn to just be strong and just, oh, you're never going to know. And I always say no one that's ever worked has an opinion that matters because they're not going to know until you've had to do it, until you've done it. You've got no right to comment and no, nothing you say matters actually to us because we're the only ones that know what it's like and we are actually human beings who don't deserve to be judged. So as you can hear, for Jenna, the decision to get into sex work has meant strained family relationships and a great deal of hurt. She's annoyed by the way people generalise and bundle up a whole lot of preconceived notions. There is that association. If you're known to be this, then you must be that, and that, and that, and that. And that's the hardest, is, yeah, that you have to prove that you're not a piece of shit, basically. So the, <laughs> the feeling is that if you're a sex worker... You're then there must be other things that come with it, such as yeah, drug use, yeah, you criminal must, connections, must be doing it maybe. Because you're a drug addict, you must, yeah, and you must know a lot of criminals, and you must therefore be involved in crime. Um, and which you know, some of us get mixed up in different things, and yeah, that has been in my life because of various reasons. Some my own fault. Some people that I've associated with ex-boyfriends and stuff. And that's one of the reasons the police don't like us. They generally don't like us much as a group. They are very anti. I mean, things are changing a bit, but they have traditionally been not good because of the association with gangsters. And, you know, people think we just hone around with gangsters, and but which is, you know, not true. I mean, it might be for some girls, but certainly not as a general rule. The skills Jenna is most proud of have grown out of sex work, greater compassion and understanding. But pretty much the number one skill is a sense of humour. I, I think it's weird even now, the actual act of having sex with a stranger for money as a, as a service or whatever. It's, it's, it's quite bizarre. It's weird and you just get into your, this is work mode and boom. But it's still odd. Yes, because you never know how it's going to go. You never know quite what's going to go right or wrong. So it's kind of, it's kind of like being a policeman, you know. You just don't know whether you, what sort of day you're going to have. It could be, you know, your work stories could be <laughs> either good or bad. But interesting as well. As for people that are not connected with the industry at all, that's what they would find quite difficult to get their head around. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they think it's kind of ill to have a lot of sex, but you know, you, you're not necessarily having a lot of sex. Like at the moment, I don't. I have less than I did before when I had a partner. So, yeah, and it's and I get offered to do freebies or whatever a lot, and I say no, thank you. Don't really need to do that. And yeah, it's I'm not. I don't do casual sex. I'm not interested in it. It's not part of what I do. And yeah, that pisses people off. But again, it's it's made me really value myself in terms of sexual availability and. Yeah, so, you know, whereas once upon a time I might have just, you know, got drunk and had a one-night stand, now I couldn't think of anything worse. So, you know, we're businesswomen, we're not sluts. But you have to like sex. 
it's not the sort of job you can do if you don't like sex. Yeah, so, but I have quite good ability to, as, as an older woman, I think, to to get into a sort of zone where I'm sort of somewhere else or, yeah, I'm not sort of me thinking. And also I've got the skills to, if I'm in a situation where I'm uncomfortable or something's gross or I, I change it by doing whatever. But this won't be a long-term option. It's not a career for me at all and I wouldn't really recommend it as a career for anyone but that's their choice. I mean, some people, some women, that's all they've ever done after leaving school, which is pretty scary, really. Why wouldn't you recommend it? Because it's hard. It's hard, and you do need to have other things in your life. It's, it's a part-time, kind of casual thing for me. It's, it doesn't define me. I'm not just a hooker. Manchester Street, near the centre of Christchurch, is the place where sex workers hang out. It's quite a quiet Tuesday night. There are not so many people working. We did find one sex worker, Carla, and we're going to have a chat to her about what it was like working on Manchester Street. But she was high and she didn't want to talk to us. Well, not then anyway. She'd be happy if we came back in an hour or two. We went further down the street, and when we stopped, it looked a bit like maybe a customer was drawing up to see if we were sex workers. The street's open, there's nothing special about it. It's not a red light area. There are office buildings, there's a church, a school. But this is the main area, as if you work in a street in Christchurch, this is where you come. Coral is perched on a low wall waiting for a client as she needs money for cigarettes. I thought I'd come out tonight because I thought it would be a good night, but not really. Not really good at all. <laughs> I always call myself a special on Easter and Christmas and New Year's, of course, you know. It's the only time I come out. Coral looks like she's seen a lot of life and she says she works on the street as the sickness benefit only covers life's bare necessities. It's not too bad. Depends you get. If you get nice people, it's not too bad. Most of them are nice clients. You pick and choose who you go with. You know, some young fella pulls up. I've had young fellas pull up with, said, we need money, and I said, no. I said, you're too young. <laughs> so don't do that. Some girls might do that, but not me. Not me. Not me. And people are pretty good about paying. They don't try and get away without paying. No, no, they pay. They well, they pay before they do the job, so that's good. Is that best practice? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Take the money before before anything happens. The prize for the sex area with the most personality would probably go to Auckland's Karangahapi Road. Karangahapi Road in Auckland's CBD is one of the traditional areas where street workers operate. They've been working out of K Road since the 90s when their work moved around the corner from Upper Queen Street. K Road itself now has informal agreements governing where the sex workers operate. There are different areas for female workers, 
transgender workers in different streets for Māori and Pacifica. But K Road doesn't hold exclusive rights to the city's street workers, and many started their time in the sex industry in South Auckland. That includes Mimi, whose voice has been disguised. So I pulled my first trick or job when I was 11. So when I was around that age, me and my cousins used to roam the streets to scab money for food. And yeah, a guy offered to pay me money and buy food, and if I did some sexual acts with him, and then, yeah, that's how I first started. At that time, did you sort of understand what he was asking? No, I didn't. Looking back, no. At 11, <clears throat> did it just become a constant thing then? So it was there, but I was still involved with whānau, so I was whāngai, so I lived um, with different family members. It was my secret, and I knew if I needed money, I could do it. Um, it wasn't until I was 14 and I went through my transition, um, becoming transgender. I left home and I ran away and my family didn't understand and my dad's side of the family, they were gang related, gang members and so I didn't want to expose myself to them because um, I was scared. Um, so I ran to the streets and I met up with other trans women who just happened to be sex workers and drug addicts. And then at 14 I went full time sex working from then on. There were many young trans women the same age as me who had gone to the streets, similar backgrounds, similar stories, and we just become a family, yeah, for that, yeah, 18 years. Um, yeah. There was no sense of social workers coming to talk no, to you? No, because I was in the youth courts, I think, and I remember getting sent with another trans young girl. We got sent to a home um, where they have other, I don't know, they foster kids or whatever, and um, they even let us go out at night <laughs> to go do our thing. What did they think you were doing? They knew what we were doing, yeah. And why did they think that was okay, do you think? I remember them, like, holding us hostage, not in a mean way, but just holding us in the toilets, telling us, you know, it's wrong and da-da-da. Um, and they did try and stop us, but we left anyway, and then they let us come back. <laughs> I didn't last long there. I was in many homes. Yeah, always ran away. And because I knew if I wanted a place to stay or money, I knew where to get it from. And so all that time you were running back to the street? Yeah. And there wasn't necessarily South Auckland. It was actually anywhere in Auckland. <laughs> yeah, there were dirty old men everywhere. <laughs> this lifestyle continued throughout her teens. It was fun too. It Times. What sort of things were fun? <clears throat> the family side. Oh, so like, you know, we'd all go out there and make our money and then we all went clubbing. So I was clubbing at 14, 15. And, you know, and we'd crash at, so there'd be like 10 girls in one house. We'd crash and then the next day we'd go shopping and spend our earnings and do it all again. <laughs> but the sense of family and happy times had a dark underside of drugs and frequent violence. Well, I was always numb by drugs, so, yeah. And that was part of the whole sex working life, too. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do it sober or straight, yeah. Yeah, there were many times where I was um, in situations where at knife point, I bashed by carloads, put her in hospital, yeah. We just dust yourself off and get back out there. Why do you think that was? Why do people do that? I think... Being trans, that whole thing around, 
Yeah. And just with the trans girls out there, we're easy target. But something for Mimi did change, slowly. I started looking at what was around me, because I never did all those years. When I started looking around me, I mean like the public, society, and just watching people getting on with their days and going to work and people, you know, school and education. I just used to sit there on the streets. Actually, when I was in Cairo, I used to sit there and think to myself, I wonder what that feels like. Yeah, and then, yeah, that's how I was in the last year before I left. But I knew I needed treatment, so, for my addiction. So I used to go to the girls for support. But their way of supporting me was, yeah, put your arm out. <laughs> and they'll give me a blast. Because they didn't know, and I knew I needed more than that. Yeah. So the drugs were out of your life. What about the sex work? Oh, when I left the streets and I got myself into treatment and that, um, I just left everything behind. Mm. And that's stayed the same now? Yes, although I have doing a few private jobs here and there. Yeah. So the sex industry is still part of Mimi's life, but now she's studying too. I wondered if working on the streets for 17 or 18 years had left a legacy for her. Mimi thinks she's okay after a lot of therapy. Now she spends time with her sister's family, and while an unfamiliar experience, she likes it. Looking back now, if you could talk to your 11-year-old self, what would you say? Go home. <laughs> I'd bring her up ass and tell her to get home. You've been listening to episode three of The Oldest Profession, a podcast series looking at New Zealand's sex industry. You can find all three episodes in the series in the podcast and series section on the RNZ website or head to iTunes. The studio engineer for the series was Phil Benj. I'm Philippa Tolley, and thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.